0: Say happy Father's Day to our uh, men, and again, I want to extend this to our men and to the families that have, have lost uh, kiddos um, in the womb. Uh, you truly are a father, even though you may have lost a child in, in that respect, and, and we just want to say that we, we grieve with you, but we um, also celebrate uh, today uh, our, our fathers, and my prayer for you is that you would be godly men who love Jesus, and that you walk with him, and that you understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be under his kingly rule and reign. Um, my wife told me this shirt was red, and uh, I'm pretty sure it's pink, so that's going to bother me most of the sermon, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, I may strip down to a t-shirt here. I'm not kidding you either. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's bugging me a little bit. Pink. On Father's Day. So uh, maybe we'll call it salmon. Is that, yeah, Gray likes it. It's salmon. All right, yeah. Salmon has always been pink to me, by the way. Like my wife tries to say, it's not really, it's not pink, it's salmon. That's still pink. It's still pink. It's less than red. All right, so um, we are in a series uh, called Divine Paradox um, Life in God's Kingdom. And the reason why we want to talk about this today and why we've wanted to discuss this with our church is because we believe that intricately involved in the scriptures is the idea of God as the one who is building his kingdom, and this is what he's doing. And so what we talked about was basically we began the series by saying that Jesus comes into his ministry, and then throughout his ministry, he's teaching. His manifesto, the Sermon on the Mount, is is essentially about what it means to be a part of the kingdom. This is what it looks like in perfection. And he goes on, and he continually teaches on the kingdom over and over again. We showed this in the first week, and if you haven't uh, uh, listened to those sermons, if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to them But essentially what we're talking about is that the kingdom of God is what Jesus came in to teach. And yet oftentimes we uh, really talk about salvation simply. We're only talking about the fact that Jesus went to the cross for us. And this is true. And that is uh, the gospel. But the gospel in its fullness is in regards to why Jesus went to the cross and what he did there to enable us to be a part of the kingdom. And so what we talked about this last week was we talked about how why we need the kingdom of God. The reason why we need the kingdom of God is because we have been brought into this kingdom of darkness. There is this darkness that is all around us. We see it every single day. And this kingdom of darkness comes about because of this great battle that happened in heaven with the snake and, and God and his angels. And the, 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 the great dragon or the snake, Satan, is thrown down to the earth. And he has been trying to get humanity to uh, avoid the commands of God to follow him. And so here we have, we have Adam and Eve in the garden. And they're walking and they're talking and they're, uh, they're enjoying relationship with God. This is God's kingdom in perfection. And what happens is this, is that uh, the snake comes in and he says, no, God doesn't have your best in mind. And so instead of having dominion over the snake, as God had delegated to them his rule and his reign uh, uh, to Adam and Eve to say, you must rule and reign over the creation and have dominion over it. Instead of having dominion over the snake, the snake has dominion over them. And the roles are reversed, and ever since then, there have been two kingdoms at war. And this battle has begun, and we see the effects of it every single day. We see the effects all the time. This last week, another shooting uh, on a baseball field. We inherently know that there should not be shootings on beautiful spring days uh, and, and people being shot for playing a game or for whatever their political alignment is. We know in our heart of hearts that this is wrong and that this shouldn't be. But uh, the reality is is that all around us, we see this stuff that's happening all the time. We see this darkness that takes place. We're constantly trying to make our lives better. We're trying to, uh, we want to see our world work better. We want it to be, according to what we believe, to be the best thing possible. And so we have this idea of what we want to see happen, but where does that idea come from? I want to tell you that that idea comes from God and his kingdom. See, God created us to be under his rule and his reign as the greatest thing that ever could be in our lives. When God created humanity, he put us in the perfect situation. And that situation is to be under him as God and have him be our king and to obey him and follow him. And life would go well in that respect. But since that point, what has taken place is that there's just been darkness and darkness and darkness. And as a result of Adam and Eve... Taking this fruit that God said, Do not eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Death came to all men. Death spread throughout all of humanity. And it is because of death and that reality, that spiritual death that we have, literal death. And it is because of that death that we have sin that pervades our society. Where people get shot on baseball fields. And when people who are innocent bystanders are are killed, wounded, whatever the case may be. But in reality, it's not just those big problems that we see throughout our world. It's not just those big problems. See, the guy who steps on to the baseball field to shoot some people has the same motivations that you and I have. He has the same darkness in him. I think it's the Smashing Pumpkins song that says, the killer in me is the killer in you. See, that guy has the same disease. He has the same problem that I do. He has the the same issues. His went to another extent where he ended up pulling out a gun. His anger, his hatred uh, turned into a murderous rage. That was his problem. And guess what? Humanity does the same thing that Adam and Eve does. I was watching a newscast, and there was a, a, a reporter who was interviewing two uh, congressmen. I think one was on, was on that field. Another one was on uh, another field with uh, the Democrats. And uh, the, the reporter said to these guys, she said, do you think that this should cause uh, politicians today to stop and think about the way that they talk and the anger and the, and the dislike and um, the politicking and so forth. And uh, one of these politicians uh, very aptly turned it back around on her and said, uh, you know, I actually think that the media has a role in this because they're the ones that are only reporting on our anger and our hatred of one another that has that, that, that then gone into everybody else. And so what we see is that we commit the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. Instead of taking responsibility for the things that we've done, now we blame other people. And so what happens as a result is that our world is just in chaos and in freefall all the time. And instead of taking responsibility for the things that we have caused, we blame other people and we blame other people. And darkness just continues to be a part of our society. This darkness, this death is spreading throughout all of our life. And so when it comes to uh, the the context of your life and your relationships and the things that you are doing, what's happening is this, is that in a very real sense, there is darkness, there is death that is working its way through your life. It is in you. It is a part of you. You're a part of the dominion of darkness. You're under this darkness. Uh, this kingdom of this world. And so what takes place? What happens? In our relationships with other people, we always find ways to blame somebody else and say it's their fault. If that guy had been a better boss, if that friend had just been somebody who would have been a, a better friend, if my spouse would just change the way that they operate. If they would do this or if they would do that, then, then things would be different. And let me just tell you, the discord, the anger, the hatred that happens between us is symptomatic of our anger and our hatred towards God. See, what happened in the garden was not simply that that Adam and Eve were fighting with one another, but it was Adam and Eve disobeying God. Our relationship is disrupted between us and God, and our relationship is disrupted between us and our fellow man or our fellow woman. So you can bet this, and let me just tell you the reason why I'm telling you this is because I want you to understand why the kingdom of God is important to your life right here and right now. This is, this, is, this is what takes place. This is what happens. Every place where there is discord, everywhere where there is greed, everywhere uh, there is anger, when your marriage is, is breaking down and it's faltering, when you refuse to take responsibility for the things that you should be taking responsibility for, all of these things are the kingdom of darkness That death that is operating itself through sin in your life. And so, yes, when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the gospel, what we're talking about is that, yes, Jesus goes to the cross to pay for sins. Jesus goes to the cross. And when he goes to the cross, what happens is that he, uh, he takes the penalty that we deserve for all of our sin. But he goes to the cross to enable you and I to come out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. We talked about this last week. To come out of death and into life. And, and so what happens is this. Is that instead of now living in death, now we can live in life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We, uh, in John 10.10, 10, it talks about uh, the, that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they have, may have life and have it to the full. Over and over again, we see this idea of life. Life coming into us. Life that we get to be a part of now. So Jesus goes to the cross, and it's not simply just so that... My sins are forgiven, and I can just go on sinning. No, Jesus goes to the cross to enable me to no longer be controlled by the kingdom of darkness, to no longer be controlled by death, by the dragon, by Satan, but Jesus goes to the cross to enable me to actually have life. In fact, John, at the end of of his gospel... In, uh, I wrote it here somewhere totally messed that up I better go to John I thought I knew where that was <laughs> John at the end of his gospel wow this is bad I'm totally messed up uh, that these things are written that you may believe and that by believing you may have life in his name. Totally forgot the reference. That's never happened, by the way. That by believing, we may have life in his name. And so the question is this, is that when we are in and a part of our lives, are we operating in death under the kingdom of darkness or are we operating in life? Are you operating in life and and bringing life into the relationships that you have or are you somebody who is still convinced that you are operating in death? And here's the things that we say. We say, "You know what? I'm just human." I'm 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 human. I'm 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 a faulty individual. Yes, we are, but Jesus went to the cross not simply so that you could continue operating in death. And yes, you are going to continue to have traits of that. But Jesus went to the cross so that you may have life, so that you can have life in everyday life, so that you can be a part of his kingdom as a kingdom representative. In our lives As individuals, we do not understand oftentimes that we have been brought into a new kingdom. We don't understand that we've been brought into this kingdom of light, that we've been brought into the kingdom of God. We don't understand how that works. And ultimately what we end up going after is we say, you know, I just want a little bit of Jesus. I said this in the the first week we said, is Jesus uh, just your savior or is he your savior and your king? If he's your savior, he has become your king. And so what must take place in our lives is not to come to God or to come under the teaching of the word or just to come to the word of God and say, God, I just need some help today so that I can get through life in, this, in these moments, in, th- in this time, what we must do is we must say, God, what is it that you want me to be aware of? So I'm not coming and saying that this is simply just about me. It really isn't about me. It is about me in God's kingdom. God, how is your kingdom going to be expressed in my life, in this time, in this place? Because when you went to the cross, it was not just so that I would be saved from sins. It was so that I could be a part of your kingdom as a kingdom representative. But what we oftentimes do is that we end up looking for ways that it just kind of bolsters what we already feel. We're just looking for a little bit of encouragement. We're looking for a coffee cup verse. We're looking for something that just makes us feel better in our times of need. Now, to be sure, let's be real here. The Bible can be and should be that for you. It should not be less than that. What it should be is way more than that. And that there should be incredible comfort in and through the reality that the king is here. That the king is among us, as that song said. I don't know if you've looked at uh, the beginning of, of John and the, the calling of Nathanael. Nathanael is, is called by Jesus. And Jesus says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. It says in John chapter 1, verse 49, it says, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. When Nathanael realizes this supernatural act that Jesus sees him, Somewhere Nathaniel immediately says, he says, You're the Son of God, and you are the King of Israel. So, as we've been talking about, like what is central to who Jesus is, is that he is king. And the people who follow him, the people who walk with him, the people that are are, are disciples of Jesus are people who recognize That is the king. His rule and his reign is here. It is here, right here and right now. But too often, what takes place is that we do not recognize him in this way. And as a result, we continue to carry out darkness in our lives. We're carrying out darkness over and over and over again in everything that we're doing. And instead of being people who are bringing healing to our our city and to our relationships and to our jobs, we are people who continually carry on darkness. We never react the way that Nathaniel does when he says... You are the king of Israel. You are the king of Israel. Now, why doesn't that make sense to us? I'm I'm kind of speaking for myself here, so I'm not pointing the finger at you entirely. Why does the king of Israel not make a lot of sense? How does Jesus as king of Israel really play into our everyday life where we can begin to let go of darkness And begin to take on this life. Begin to take on the the life that Jesus brings with him as king. Well, it's a little bit like this. I don't know. um, When you're sitting in a movie and uh, you end up having to get up and go to the restroom or something like that. Like, uh, oftentimes we come back into the movie theater and we sit next to our friend or to our spouse and we say, um, What I miss? What I miss? And the reason is this. Is because in the, the theme of this story... Like, if we miss a really important piece, we may not get the ending. If you miss an important piece, you're not going to get the ending. In addition to this, like if you're sitting in a 3D movie, and you do not have the 3D glasses on, I don't know if you've ever uh, done that before, it looks pretty weird. It, it, it looks kind of wacky. You've got to have these correct glasses on. Let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is like that. The kingdom of God is, is like a, a pair of 3D glasses that enables us to see the landscape, to hear the story, and to understand what takes place and to understand what happens. If the only thing that you ever do is watch the end of a movie, yeah, it's it's a really great piece. It's a it's it's a really great ending where the girl is saved, and it's a really great uh, portion where something takes place that we just go, oh my gosh, that was incredible. But what happens at the beginning of the movie, what happens at the beginning of the story is really what drives us towards this reality that the ending is so great. And if you don't understand the rest of the story, the only thing that you'll do throughout your life is that you will say, I just want a little bit of Jesus. I just want some of him. I don't want all of him. I just want my life to go better. I want him to serve me. I want things to go better for me. I want to make enough money. I want to, I'm not going to be about his kingdom. I'm, I'm going to be about my kingdom. And so we must understand the story. Well, what, what are the pieces of these stories? If you've watched any thriller type movies or action adventures or things like that, some of my favorite movies, I remember thinking a long time ago that many of these movies started out with this perfect scenario. There's this guy. He's, he's probably a cop. And he's at home. And there's the, the wife and the daughter. They just had a baby. It's, and it's, oh, it's so great. And the thing that you know when you get used to these movies is you go, someone's dying here. And it's probably, the, you know, the mom or something like that. I mean, it's just like, dude, it's going to be so awful. It's because they're building up this perfect situation. But then what's going to happen? Somebody dies, someone is attacked, someone is taken. And sometimes we come in, you can come into the middle of the movie and you just go, why are these people in Paris? Why are they in Paris? Like, what's going on? And what, like, what's, what's, what's happening here? But if you saw from the beginning of the movie, and you you went, you went all the way, and you, and you were like, you were following along, and you understood that Liam Neeson was on the phone at the very beginning, and he says, I have a very particular set of skills, right? And then it would just make it so much better, because when you got to the end, and he was like, yeah, 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 you know, like, stuff. Oh, oh, no, 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 okay, okay, okay. My kids would be impressed that I just did that, but... I don't move very quickly normally, but now you've seen it, okay? It, it can happen. You, you, like, when, when he's like, punching the guy, I mean, it gets brutal in that movie and, and whatnot. And, and, and the, the fact that the guy says, good luck, right, right? And then Liam Neeson kicks his tail, right? It's just like, it is so incredible. Oh, my gosh. And you just come out of there. I mean, this is me. I don't know about you. There's ladies here. I don't know what happens at the end of one of your movies, but... They kiss, and that's so incredible, oh my gosh. See, the Bible's a love story to you, but for us, it's a battle, and this is Father's Day, so deal with it. But, um, so uh, you get to the end, and you go, oh my gosh, that was so good. Those are the best movies for me. That's, I like ac- action-adventure, so. You get to the ending, and you see this, and you just go, oh my goodness, that was incredible. If the only thing you ever do is watch the end of the movie of, of Jesus, and not really even the end, just this little period, let me dig deeper. If the only thing you ever do is you know about Jesus, like you know he, he won an Oscar at some point, like, like it was fabulous, it was a great movie, that's, that's what I, that's all that you know about Jesus. All you know is that he won an award people call him savior oh and he's my savior because i go to church but the thing is you don't know the story like nathaniel knows the story because nathaniel says ah you're the son of god and you are the king of israel and i will follow you that's because nathaniel knows the story of god Nathaniel knows he understands on some level, even though many Jews misunderstood Jesus' story. They didn't see him as the one that the law and the prophets and everything was talking about. They didn't understand that it was his story. But Jesus comes to the end and he says, listen, it's all about me as the one who's bringing the kingdom. And so here's what you need to know. The entire Bible, the entire Bible is about the kingdom of God. The entire thing. Did you know that? The entire Bible is about the kingdom of God. Jesus is the one who brings the kingdom. Jesus is the one. He's the most important person in the midst of that story. Jesus is the one who brings the kingdom. The entire Bible is about the kingdom of God and to miss that is to not have the 3D glasses on. The entire Bible is about the kingdom of God and the whole thing plays into that and your Christianity, your faith in Jesus Christ very much is rooted in this story. Because the within the context of the Bible, the Bible is about history and the future, and you and I are in the middle of it. Your faith in God is rooted in the fact that, this, that w- what we believe about the Bible is that it is the authoritative Word of God, that it is true. One author says this. In fact, Peter Gentry and Stephen wellham say, a text that authoritatively and accurately unfolds God's redemptive plan for his creation centered in Christ. We believe this about the Bible that this is what it is. It is unfolding God's plan of redemption, and God's redemption is his kingdom being fully and finally inaugurated. In fact, Re- Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 through 17 says this Then the angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign Man, for that to be just like, whoa! Liam Neeson just kicked his tail, right? Or Tom Cruise or whoever you want. Whoever the major actors are today. That's what that is. That's what that is. It's the ending of the story where it's just like, oh my gosh! It's coming to fulfillment, and he's coming in, and he's taking them down. The entire scripture is about God's kingdom and how it is thwarted, or so Satan thinks, in the garden. And now he tries to duel with God, and he tries to take him on, and he tries to battle with him. But what God does throughout history is he unfolds his plan of redemption, which, by the way, was enacted before time even began. Try to think about that one for a little bit, right? He had planned this story. People say, well, why did he do that? Why would he allow these things? You have to ask God when you see him. But ultimately, it's about his glory. It's ultimately about him getting praise, Being glorified for the story that he wrote and that truly took place. The story is about God unfolding his plan of redemption throughout all of time. And so, how is he unfolding his plan? In the Old Testament, what it is, is he's unfolding it through his covenants. Covenants are not contracts, they're promises. They're not transactional, they're relational. God is a God who makes covenants with people. He's the one that upholds the covenant. He is the one that facilitates uh, the covenant. But there's repeated instances of God making covenants. And some people say that there is a covenant with Adam, even though it doesn't explicitly state that. But there's reasons to believe that, that God gives Adam a covenant. And he says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and you're to rule and you're to reign and have dominion over this earth and you're to walk with me. And yet Adam fails. And so what happens is it progresses, as I said this last week, it progresses up up to Noah and God says that he's sorry that he's made creation and that all of this darkness and this death has come up, and it has caused such violence. It has caused such distress that God says, I'm going to wipe them all out. But he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Noah. I'm going to make a covenant with you. You, you. you get in the ark. You do what I ask you to do. But I'm going to make a covenant with you that I'm going to do this this time, but I'm never again going to destroy the world in this way. And I'm going to give you a sign, and that is my rainbow. So there's the covenant with Noah. And then you have the covenant with Abraham. So God says, so here's Adam. He fails. Noah, he becomes uh, this new uh, covenant dude. And so what happens is, is, is this, is that you see Noah kind of fail. And as a result, what takes place is that you end up even further down the road, and you just go, man, it still is bad. It still is bad. What's so bad? Well, a fresh start, a clean slate, God wiping all of the bad people out doesn't get rid of sin because the killer in you is the killer in me because each of us has this darkness. We're not shooting people on the uh, baseball field, perhaps, I hope none of you have, but you say angry words at your husband or at your wife. You gossip about somebody. A clean slate doesn't fix things. Abraham comes into view. And what happens is this. God makes a covenant with him. He says, I'm going to multiply you greatly. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. God is pointing to what he said in Genesis chapter 3.15, which is, I'm going to put enmity between you and the snake or between you and her offspring, and 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 what's gonna happen is that there's going to be this savior that's going to come. That's what Genesis three fifteen says. And what takes place is this is that God is keeping his promise. He's keeping his covenant. He's moving it further down the road, and so he calls uh, Abraham, and Abraham is to turn into this great nation, and this great nation is going to become Israel, but Israel is then given another covenant, and that covenant is the Mosaic covenant, and they're to obey God's law, but what does Israel do? Israel completely fails. Over and over and over again, there's a new Adam and a new Adam and a new Adam, and each one of those continues to fail. And it is not as though God keeps trying and we keep failing. It is, that, it is as though God is showing us scenes from the movie. What I miss, what I miss, you missed all of Israel. Like you missed everything that God said to Israel. You missed that scene, or you missed this scene, or you missed the beginning, or you, you've just been reading the Old Testament as though it's just a bunch of disconnected stories, and like there's the Ten Commandments in there, and I guess I better kind of try to obey those, but Jesus went to the cross, and so that's okay. No, what it's showing us is it's showing us God's unfolding plan of redemption, and the scenes within God's story are His covenants. The scenes within God's story are His covenants. And those covenants show us who God is and point toward Jesus. Until finally, when we get to Jesus, He sits down with His disciples in Luke chapter 22, verse 14. He sits down with his disciples. It's right before his death, and it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this When Jesus comes as the one who's bringing the kingdom, what he, what he does is this. He's teaching about the kingdom. He's showing us the kingdom. He's, he's d- being a display of that. He's helping us understand what that looks like. But then he ultimately says this. The reason why I want you to remember me through the Lord's table, through the, the Lord's supper, is because of this. This. This was, is my blood. That scene that of me being on the cross, that scene is me pouring out my blood for you. That is me actually defeating the enemy. And I want you to understand that this is the new covenant. It's not like the old covenant that has the laws and everything. It's the new covenant. And this covenant through my blood, when you have faith like Abraham had faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. When you have faith and you say, God, I trust you. I want to walk with you. I see that Jesus is the son of God, that he is the king of Israel that he ultimately is the greater king. He's greater than David. He is this king in this story of God. And I see this, and I trust him, and I hope in him. Now, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, you get to be a part of the kingdom of God because he poured out his blood. the thing that's amazing about this is that so many people just stop there so many people stop there so many of us do And so what happens Jesus is your Savior and he's not your king and so you kind of look like a duck and you act like a duck but you're not a duck right You're not somebody who's really walking with Jesus in his ways. You're somebody who's walking in your ways with a little bit of Jesus. We all do this to some degree or another. And instead of being people who say, like, the entire story is about his kingdom being restored from beginning to end. It's going from paradise lost to paradise recovered. The entire story is about that. And Jesus went to the cross to enable me to be a part of it through his new covenant. Are we people who are about the kingdom of God? Here's the prayer that we need to pray. Not simply just that Jesus would save us if we are not in him as of yet if we have not expressed faith in him. But we, as Christian people, need to be praying. I'm talking to outward church. I'm saying, our church needs to pray. God, what would it look like for every single one of us to say with conviction, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven? What would it look like For you and I to to seek his kingdom first? What would it look like? What would outward church turn into? Would we get smaller? Because that's too hard. Remember Jesus? He lost disciples. That's a little over the edge, Jesus. (laughs) Like eating your flesh, drinking your blood, I'm out. Right? John 6, if you haven't read it. Like, what would we get smaller? Would would more people who don't know Jesus and who do not live under His kingly rule come to know Jesus? Would people in our city say this about us? (laughs) They don't care, or they the, the thing that motivates them is not whether or not I pray a prayer with them. The thing that motivates them is revealing who this God really is. And so when they come and serve me, they, I don't feel like they have ulterior motives because what they're bringing is the revelation of the kingdom of God. They're bringing this incredible peace They're bringing restoration to broken areas and to broken families. And maybe people come and they they come to our church and they say, I'm not sure that I believe in your gospel, but the thing that I do believe is that I saw my friend in his marriage that was jacked up and I saw complete healing come over that. And now that guy's a great dad and that mom, she's an awesome mom. Or I saw someone who is totally sick and the... People gathered around them, and they prayed for them, and they prayed for them, and God answered, or maybe God didn't answer, but they got stronger, and they said, God, we trust you. What would it look like if we believed that God's point for you and I is not simply just to believe the truth about the gospel and salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom of God? Our lives would change. Our church will change. Our city will be affected. We will be a church that is alive. We will be a group of people who are on fire for Jesus and excited about revealing His kingdom. John 20:31. Was on the next page? But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. There you go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for life in our marriages. I want to pray for life... In our in our relationships, Lord, I want to pray for those that are single here today, Lord. I know we have many of them in our in our midst, Lord. What would it look like for them to be about the kingdom of God, Lord? They they have more time than some of us who have um, uh, spouses and and kids and and things of that. Lord, they have so much more time to be able to. Um, Uh, be about your kingdom and to reveal who you are. And so, Lord, I pray for them. I pray for our singles. And I say, Lord, I ask that you would allow them to understand this. Lord, I want to pray for our men here, especially today. Lord, that they would see and know and understand that they are the primary representative in their home of the kingdom. Lord, they are the ones who are to bring about the kingdom, to bring it to bear, to reveal it to their wife, to their kids. Lord, I thank you for these men here today that do this. And Lord, for those guys that are trying, they want that to be the case. Lord God, I want to pray for those men right now, Lord, that you'd strengthen them in the inner man, Lord, that you would allow them to be people who are following you. God, I want to pray for them that just in these moments as we just don't typically have quiet moments very often, God, I'm just praying that they would just simply say, God, I I want to be about your kingdom. I want to look, I I want to be somebody who, who knows what it looks like to be a, person who's revealing the kingdom, but I don't know how, and so, Lord, I, I'm just praying that our men would, uh, would just pray in repentance and just say, Lord, I know I'm not there. I know that's why you went to the cross. Help me to be that, that dad that I need to be. Help me to look to you as as the great model of what fatherhood really is. It's self-sacrificing and it's, it's loving and caring. So, Lord, I'm just praying for our men. Lord, may we honor them today. May we lift them up and just say thank you to them for all that you're doing in their lives all that you've created them to be, Lord, the giftings that you've given them. Lord, we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray, amen.